Hey there, and welcome to Inside Intercom. If you're listening to this show, I think it's safe to assume you are or will be in the business of building product. And in this episode, we're looking at how to unpack the motivations behind your customer's decision to actually use it. This is never random. And if you subscribe to the Jobs to be Done framework, a process that helps you understand the real jobs a customer is hiring your product for, it comes down to their desire to make progress in their lives. Sure, that sounds great, but how do you find the actual jobs your product is hired for and use it to grow your business? To get a clearer picture of that process, Intercom co-founder Des Trainer sits down with one of our favorite past guests, Rewired Group CEO Bob Muesta. Bob first appeared on our show back in 2016, but his past with Intercom extends much further than that. It was actually Bob and his team that worked with Des back in Intercom's early years to uncover the jobs that our products were actually used for. In fact, he and his team at Rewired have done the same for over 3,500 products to date. Bob is actually one of the key figures in jobs to be done history. He helped archetype the whole concept with Harvard Business School professor Clay Christensen back in the mid-90s. In his chat with Des, he explains where he focuses his jobs research today. Mine's focused on uh, the progress people are trying to make as opposed to trying to make the best product in the world. Because sometimes a I would say a kick-ass half is better than a half-ass whole. Why the first answer someone gives as to why they bought your product is often misleading. It's the easy thing or the lie we tell ourselves that we can tell everybody else that everybody will accept, but it's really not the underlying causality. And so it's getting past the surface crap that people say and, to be honest, the things they tell themselves to really what, what was it that was going on. And how you can get started uncovering your product's own jobs to be done. The greatest single step you can make is to actually talk to somebody who recently purchased you and talk to somebody who recently quit you. If you like what you hear from Bob, you should definitely check out our past interview with him along with our full archive of Inside Intercom interviews. You can find us on iTunes, Overcast, Spotify, or really anywhere else you go for podcasts these days. Now, let's hop in the studio. We've got Intercom co-founder Des Trainer talking jobs to be done with Bob Muesta. You're listening to Inside Intercom. Intercom, making internet business personal at scale. Learn more at intercom.com. Bob, welcome back to Inside Intercom. You're probably best known and maybe will always be best known for jobs to be done. Let's just start off. What the hell is Jobs to be done? Great question. Thanks for having me back. Really excited to be here. The basics of jobs is this, is that, that people buy things to help them make progress. And there's nothing random about somebody buying, let's say, Intercom today. And so the notion is, is if somebody buys Intercom today, there's something that caused them to do that. Mm-hmm. And there's some outcome that they seek or that some better state that they want. And so jobs to be done is to really understand both that context that they're in and the underlying causal mechanisms or the dominoes that have to fall that say, today's the day I'm going to buy. And, and then what's the outcome that basically sets in the expectations of what people really want when they actually are switching. Right. And so it's a, the notion of really focusing in on kind of what are those moments uh, through space and time and how does it work and ultimately understanding kind of it's not random but it's caused and what can you do to help people understand when is it time to sign up for Intercom and to make sure that you deliver on the satisfaction so they stay with Intercom. 
It sounds slightly magical. How does it work in <laughs> practice? Like, as in, like, all of that information sounds incredibly compelling. Yeah. You know, do you do you look at analytics? Do you talk to people? Yeah. How do you start to learn what these moments are? So I'm dyslexic, and so it's really given me kind of a really uh, a little. I think of a, an edge. So I think of it as the greatest gift I got, because what it does is it forces me to realize I don't know anything about why people would, for example, join Intercom or buy Intercom. Right. And so I start. I usually start with interviews to get to the point of understanding the difference between what they say and what they do and being able to understand, again, the, the things that they that happen to them or the things that they want to happen and be able to understand that the, what we would call the causal mechanisms. But from the qualitative kind of interviews, you're able to actually see kind of behaviors. And so you can actually look into, for example, the data analytics and actually start to see what's happening. And so right. it's almost like the theory development to understand how to look at the big data. And so right. that's pretty much how we end up kind of being able to see it and size it and then decide how to actually build better experiences to deliver on the jobs. So what, what's going on when people, like it sounds like they, they say why they buy something, but that's not really why they buy it. What, yeah, yeah. Like, do you have examples of that or like what's, a, what's going a, on there? I have a great story. Uh, so the other day I was at dinner with, uh, I was, I'm, I'm here for a conference in, right. in Ireland lovely here. And one of the gentlemen who was another speaker basically had uh, the the new Google phone. Right. And he says, oh, I'm the first one to have a Google phone. I'm like, so what caused you to say like to buy that? And he's he's like, are you jobs in me? I'm like, no, no, let's just have the conversation. He goes, well, the first thing is, is I looked at the 10 and I looked at the notch and that notch, that notch is the thing that caused me not to buy the iPhone 10 and to buy the Google. I'm like, I don't think so. Yeah. It's all of a sudden you start to talk through, well, what's wrong with the notch? And then you talk about what else was going on. And it's like, and you start to realize he needed to build an Android app and he had to buy some Android phone to begin right. with. So the notch was never And so the notch was really actually yeah. just, just yeah. Not, had nothing to do with the story. Yeah. But it's the easy thing or the lie we tell ourselves that we can tell everybody else that everybody will accept. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, I hate the notch too. But it's really not the underlying causality. And so it's getting past the surface crap that people yeah. say and, and really... And to be honest, the things they tell themselves to really what what was it that was going on that said, you know, I should try the Google phone mm-hmm. kind of thing. Uh, something I've seen you do in your interview techniques is um, like sort of freeze time. Like yeah. so someone's telling you like, oh, well, you know, it was like we just had to go and buy a mattress or whatever. Yeah. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That, that's not a random, you know, yeah. you're not just, you don't just wake up out of bed saying I need to buy a mattress or I need to install intercom or right. buy a time tracking app or project that's management right. or whatever. And like when you press people enough, they're kind of like, well, actually, do you know what it was? It was uh, the spring dug into my back or like, you know, I got this shitty email report and it wasn't good enough and I needed (laughs) something better. Or Um, I went to give a report and then all of a sudden, you know, my bosses went crazy because it wasn't the right data and they they made me look bad. So I'm like, I got to go find something better. But it's... It's usually they don't the things that blame, they blame themselves about. They don't say that it's about the product, and so it's the yeah. separation between their experiences and product, yeah. and that that's where all of a sudden you have to dig past it. And so it's really about seeing how products fit into people's lives and what's going on in their life. And so to me, uh, there's a big difference between trying to look at your customer through your product. I always think of it as like a peephole in a fence, and you can only see the the little interactions they have yeah. as opposed to saying like, all right, let's just get above this all and mm-hmm. look at their life and understand their life and what's going on and say, how do we actually fit into their life? So that's kind of where, where the interview takes yeah. a turn because what you do is most people always think you're going to talk about the product, yeah. and eventually you're like, you're never talking about the product, you're talking about them. Yeah. And so... A lot of times companies, when they first start doing jobs, it's like, wait a second, I need you to ask about this feature and that feature and this feature. And I'm like, I don't care about any of those things. I only care about 
what was going on in their life to say today's the day because it's like those are the pylons that are the foundations by which people do things and again they don't think it's part of your world as a product person but they are the actual foundations by which you get pulled into their world right. so like in a sense if like a lot of our listeners are like business owners yeah. startup founders entrepreneurs designers product folks yeah. etc what we're saying is like Jobs is a way to understand like the situations and motivations that would trigger their would-be customers to evaluate. And then if you yeah. learn those things, you can lean into them in yep. a sense. You can try and yep. trigger that motivation earlier. You can try and make more of those situations happen, right? Well, and this gets to kind of, there's a difference because there's the, like almost two flavors of jobs out there. Yeah, One yeah. of them is this notion of uh, outcome-driven innovation. All right, this is Tony Elwick's yeah, stuff. Yeah, Tony Elwick's yeah. stuff, yeah. great guy. Yeah. Um, I think the notion to me is that the the world that I've worked in in the past is the fact is, is the, the, the contexts are very... Uh, fluid, or yeah, they're yeah. they're just so different, and so the outcome is very. It, it, though they want an outcome, starting it with with uh, one set of context versus a different set of context actually determines a different amount of value. And right. so, to me, context and outcome go together, right? As a as pairs, as sets of data, yeah. and so those are the things that we're really looking at as kind of not not just the ultimate of outcomes, but basically where are they coming from? Because sometimes people need a half a step instead of a whole step. Yeah. Um, though they might say they want this great outcome, the yeah. fact is, is sometimes you just have to give them a half step to, to make the progress. And right. so ultimately mine's focused on uh, the, the progress people are trying to make yeah. as opposed to trying to make the best product in the world. Because right. sometimes a, I would say a kick-ass half is better than a half-ass whole, as yeah. Jason would say, right? Yeah, yeah. That makes total sense. So, as you said, you're here in Dublin. Yeah. Uh, you're speaking at the Industry Product Conference. Yeah, great guys. Um, and I'm just curious, I know you more through interview. What were you yeah. speaking about at the uh, at Yeah, the so I did a, I did a, um, a fireside chat, which yeah. is kind of cool. And uh, so some of the stuff I'm working on is that uh, is I'm more, you know, I'll say at my core, I'm more of an innovator than I am just kind of a jobs guy. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm known for jobs to be done. Mm-hmm. But uh, I wanted to talk about the fact is, is, is starting to talk about this notion of this, the core skills that innovators need. Mm-hmm. And that typically what we're finding is that most things are so vertically oriented in terms of I'm a finance person or I'm mm-hmm. a marketing person. But innovation actually has to cut across all of them. Mm-hmm. And you start to realize that there's like five core skills people have to have. And so I've been interviewing all these different innovators for, for almost a couple of years just to get kind of what are those core underlying skills and again, most people talk process of innovation. I think there's the practice of innovation. Right. And so these these skills are, one is is just the notion of systems and how to mm-hmm. think in systems. And what, what I mean by that is building boundaries and what are inputs and what are outputs and what are outcomes versus outputs. Mm-hmm. And just having some language to describe the sequence and how things kind of work yeah. and roll. But also to, to help frame the work that we don't know that we have to go figure out. Um, the second, the second one is really the notion of time and space, and being able to think through time and think, for example, backwards in time mm-hmm. versus forward in time, or think in milliseconds versus you know days. Like yeah. there's the whole notion of traveling through time and space, and you find most innovators can do this so easily, but people who are struggling with innovation, they they have usually no idea what you're talking about. So yeah. understanding that. The whole line line of uh, experience and progress and jobs. I think mm-hmm. the the aspect of being able to understand the details of how little things can cause big things of satisfaction and being able to understand the role experience plays in something. Mm-hmm. Prototyping is another one, is the fourth one, which is, we all know it, but there's there's so many better ways to be more efficient. Like A-B testing, I was taught, was actually the most inefficient way in which to test something. And so I learned a whole frame of from Dr. Taguchi around uh, doing robust design of experiments and being able to understand how to do it, uh, you know, divide things into systems and then test those systems to see 
where they work and how they work. And so there's there's just a lot more yeah. work there. And the last one is prioritization. Ryan and I have been collaborating kind of about all of this, but Ryan is really working this on... Ryan Singer. Yeah, I'm sorry, Ryan now. Singer, sorry. Yeah. Ryan Singer's really been working on this notion of how to prioritize what's the work you should be working on and what, what's the kind of work. And there's this aspect of um, what we realize is that, again, people might know the work, what to do, but they end up usually doing the easiest work first, mm-hmm. which is the which is usually leaving the hardest work last, and yeah. you, know, you run out of time. Yeah. And so it's the notion of how do you actually prioritize and how do you know when to kind of rescope the project kind of yeah. thing? And so there's those those kind of five skills, systems, time and space, experience, progress, prototyping, and um, prioritization. prioritization. So, that's like, awesome. And so what I'm trying to do is build a school basically mm-hmm. to teach all those kind of basic core skills yeah. where then I have, I'm going to have tutors and facilitators and this notion of just trying to pass this. There's lots of tools and methods, but I really think the notion of getting people to practice these kinds of skills will make us all better innovators. That sounds, sounds like an awesome talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for so it. what, that's, it's, so yeah. to me, the, the, yeah. the fireside chat is the first step in the talking yeah. process. And so now yeah. the, that's kind of the next round of talks yeah. I'm doing. There, there's one other area I'm working on, which is kind of fun, which is I've realized there's no sales theory. Meaning when you go to business school, at least in the U.S., you realize there are no sales professors. And if, I, I love this thought. So you said this to me like three or four years ago yeah, in Chicago. Yeah. You said, I went looking across all of America and yeah. I could not find a single professor of sales. Right. Go on. And, and, and the notion is, is that if they were, they were teaching you sales management or they were teaching right. you uh, sales negotiations and yeah. they'd have a lawyer coming in. Yeah. But there's nobody who's talking about the fundamentals of how do people buy? And right. so I'm, I'm kind of taking the lens of, of jobs and flipping it into that space to kind of say, let's just talk about progress and the notion of sales and the role that sales plays in helping people make progress so we can at least start to have a debate around it, mm-hmm. but also have a way in which to have the, the company as a whole think about it. Because most of the time, really good salespeople actually just help you buy. Mm-hmm. Really bad salespeople usually uh, try to sell you. Throat. Throat. They, yeah. they, they shove something down your throat because they got a quota. And mm-hmm. so part of it is how do we actually start to think about those processes? And I always, anytime that something's seen as an art, I went to the Guinness factory yesterday, right? right? And it's like, <laughs> I'm, I kept thinking like, how in the world did they do this 200 years ago, yeah. right? <laughs> but the notion is, is when you start to look at it, they've turned it into a science. And though yeah. most of them would thought it was an art, mm-hmm. I think it's more science. And that's what I want to be able to turn to sales. And it's... Yeah. It's trying to also move away from just sales technique, but yeah. let's just build some foundations of what sales is. Yeah. So that's the other place I'm working. When we last spoke about this, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, you were working with Clay Christensen. Yeah, yeah. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Clay uh, and I are working on yeah. that as a topic. So he's he's yeah. kind of off on the what we call the capitalist dilemma, and I'm yeah, kind yeah. of helping him with okay. that. But this is a secondary it's topic. Cool. It's a little bit lower, yeah. but it's yeah. very, very interesting to kind of uh, bring in some very senior salespeople or sales executives, yeah. and then have them talk about the foundations of, you know, sales and sales yeah. management, and they realize it's, there's just no theory. And so that's right. kind of one of the tasks that I'm set out to do, and Clay's helping yeah. me with that, yeah. Fascinating challenge. Yeah. Okay, it's been two years since we spoke, and I feel it for sure, and uh, and I feel like a lot has happened in jobs we've done. In general, like, I've always observed, as communities, theories, practices, etc., expand, yeah. they tend to cast a wide net, which generally is what, like, happens when you get popular. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. means, that, you know, there can be things ranging from, like, misunderstandings or misapplications, but yeah. then there's obviously positive progress yeah, as yeah. more and more people get to use it. What's the past two years been like for the jobs we've yeah. done, sort of, ideas? Good question. So, so... There's a couple things that have happened. One is is I think we've gotten some tighter processes. We've basically been able to use some math to help cluster off. So, for example, we do these interviews where we talk about kind of the pushes and the pulls and anxieties and habits. Well, 
Now we have a very kind of formalized debrief process to actually extract the data. So I think of each interview as almost like a terabyte of data. And like, what do we pull out of it in terms of pushes, pulls, anxiety, habits, higher fire, uh, trade-offs? There's just mm -hmm. all this embedded in these stories. Mm -hmm. And they put into a piece of software that, 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 that enables us to start kind of like, one, codifying it, but then two, being able to see the patterns through math. Not through mm -hmm. statistics, but through math. And so it's like, I have how many stories and how close are they? And can I actually put them together? And so it allows us to kind of move the process from almost a 60-day process of yeah. uh, doing all the interviews and analyzing to almost a one-week process. Wow. And so it's been very, very helpful yeah. for us to be able to kind of do that. The other part is then it makes it more teachable and trainable yeah. to other people and yeah. scalable to other, you know, like so inside uh, fairly large companies, they're, they're able to actually build their own training programs around it and kind of build and scale it. That's cool. um, Can I ask on the math, like what, what's the process for quantifying a statement that you hear oh. in an interview? Yeah, so or, no, no, no. So, okay. so there's a couple things. One is, um, so I've been working also on the quantitative side yeah. of, of jobs. So there's yeah. like the qualitative side and how do we actually find the jobs? And then there's this notion of the quantification of like which jobs are happening uh, where and when kind yeah. of thing. And so there's two ways we've been actually doing that is that you can actually, one way is to, is especially if you're an online kind of company, you can see the jobs or you qualitative, you get the jobs. And then for example, at Basecamp, we did this where we cut the data and we actually said, all right, if they're in this job, what behavior would we see? Right. And from that, we can actually then take a chunk of data and kind of say like, all right, well, how many times did this happen and who did this happen with? And and is it like when they first hired it or was it afterwards? And so you can actually start to codify the the big data set yeah. by, by the theories you've got. Right. And so there's a really cool way in which to kind of just take a current data set and lay the theory, yeah. the, the job theory over it or, yeah, the, yeah. or the actual jobs there and manifest it through actions you would see them doing. And, and an example yeah. would be one of the jobs was help me think it through. Yeah. And what you'd see is people basically putting a lot of tasks in. They'd be inviting a lot of people. Yeah. They'd never check anything off. Right. Um, there'd be lots of conversations. It's just outlining. And then, yeah, but, yeah. but it would be like, uh, and what you'd see is it was the notion of I'm trying to make sure that I'm thinking about yeah. this project right. Yeah. But then they wouldn't necessarily do anything else after that because yeah. they would either write it on a board or they use Microsoft Pro. They'd use something yeah. else. Yeah. Yeah. But it was the tool just to help me think it through. And you, you'd be surprised like okay it can do a lot more but the mm -hmm. reality is that's what they use it for and that's the progress that helps them make progress and so part of that is 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 now you can see it in the data where if you take current data scientists they're just trying to correlate and they're trying to actually use not causality but correlation yeah. to find anything. Not, so so right. so the job provides like a lens which then you yeah. can you can kind of reasonably approximate to sort of data you should see yeah. so like one example we i know we see in intercom is like it's more popular on a, on a Monday. Why is yeah. that? Well, because you have a backlog of customer support. But also, our marketing product is more popular on a Monday. And why is that? Because people are checking reports to fill in their exactly. spreadsheets. And and, uh, and we know we can see that uh, in the behavior. Yeah, but, right. you know, it's, uh, it's just interesting. But then how do you, yeah, but how do you yeah. then manifest it back into the data? Mm -hmm. And then the other part is, when do you start to see the new struggling moments that they have yeah. that you can actually in yeah. inject new things? Yeah. It's kind of cool. That's awesome. The, the, other thing, yeah. the other thing we've been doing is on the quantitative side is, for example, we, um, I have a book coming out with Michael Horn around um, choosing college. So wow. the struggling moment yeah. of you know, helping an 18-year-old figure out which, which school they should go to and how, mm -hmm. and, and parents, and, and to be honest, the mismatch between the jobs the students have and mm -hmm. what the institutions are actually delivering. Yeah. And so we're we're that should we're just uh, getting a publisher now, but we did a we did a quantitative study where we took all the pushes that people had talked about and basically said what which what are the underlying causality things of what you caused you to say today's the day I want to go to college yeah. and um, and they're 
they're not your usual sets of answers. And there's a there's part of his like this had the most influence and this had the least influence. Yeah. So we use a max diff kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. And then we say, all right, now going to college, yeah. what are the two or three things, you know, what are two or three things you're you're actually hoping for when you go through college? Yeah. And we have the same thing. And out of it, you can actually see the jobs. And so we took uh 1,500 students their first year in as freshmen at University of Maryland, Baltimore, team that mm-hmm. beat uh, Virginia in the, in the uh, uh, March Madness. These They went off, and, and we were able to see, like, if you ask the administrators what they thought was going on, they thought everybody was there for what we would call the ideal college experience. Help me find out who I am. Help me figure out a major. Yeah. And it turns out that the majority of people who are coming in were, look, um, I, I have a little extra time. Um, I want to learn something new and I want to better myself. And so all right. of a sudden the notion is, is it's very mm. different sets of orientations. Yeah. There's another one that job that in there is like, it's time to step up. You know, I've now got kids or I've now got, you yeah. know, my, I've, I've been, I'm working paycheck to paycheck. It's time for me to step it up. And, and so all of a sudden the two bigger jobs are not what they thought was this traditional 18 year old walking yeah. in the door. And so that's it's really, funny. really helpful. That's classic. Like the customer is not buying what the company yeah, thinks it's selling. Exactly. Like it's, it's exactly. Exactly. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode 1 is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt-or-die moment. It's inevitable that... All businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise. Old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service. And it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right, and see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. Here's a, a weird question. As I've been like looking at folks who would, I, I guess they're trying to apply jobs and in some cases they're just saying that they apply jobs, yeah. but they're not necessarily um, applying it. One thing I see folks constantly struggle with is, um, and like this is like to ground this, this is like software uh, yeah, folks, right? Yeah, People yeah. are building startups. Like, they don't know where to stop. Like, they do their interviews and they learn, okay, it seems like, you know, Johnny wants to, you know, gather marketing data. Okay, why does Johnny want to do that? Well, Johnny wants to be a good employee. Why does he want to do that? He wants to get promoted. Why does he want to do that? He wants to earn more money. So when they go to write their job up and they're like, well, what does our product do? Yeah, it does, it does yeah. everything. It gets people promoted. It helps them have a happy marriage. It yeah, uh, yeah, gathers yeah. marketing data. It exports to Microsoft Excel. Yeah, you know, yeah, they yeah. don't know which of these, like all of those things are true at different Zoom levels, right? Right. And they don't know which one to anchor on. Any guidance there? Like when do you stop going up? Is it like when when weirder competitors come into the mix? Or yeah. like 
How do you think about that? So, so it's it's almost uh, I always think about it as like almost a level of abstraction. Mm-hmm. At some point, they can start piling it on, but the reality is like, what is the underlying energy that's actually motivating them to do something? So, mm-hmm. and what I would say is nine times out of ten, it's as much about push as it is about pull. And so the thing is, is, is where is that energy or the struggling moments where they can't do something mm-hmm. that's going to cause them to do it? And so to me, I think about this as the difference between what I call supply side innovation, right. which is, hey, I have this technology. What job can it do? Right. Versus demand side innovation is like what problems do cons- consumers have? What progress do they want to make? And how do they actually understand and value it? Yeah. And so to me, it gets back to what are people really going to value? And so if yeah. people aren't saying it, it's yeah. probably not going to happen. And yeah. so my thing is, is you can say, hey, you're going to get promoted. Nobody actually is saying, hey, if I buy Intercom, yeah. I'm going to get promoted. They, yeah. th- like I'm going to get promoted for a lot of other things. Yeah. It's going to help me. But it's like at some point, Intercom's going to help me do these three things, right. which then in turn might help get promoted. Right. promoted. And it's, so it's, it's almost where like bottoms it, up, top down. Right? Exa- like, exactly yeah. right. And it's yeah. where does it where do, where does responsibility stop? Right for like what the product's supposed to do and yeah. where does it is it their responsibility to actually kind of follow through yeah. on it and so to me it's it is a it is a hard point to find yeah. but the reality is there's clearly points where people are extrapolating way beyond yeah. the consumers yes. uh, almost scope or focus or yeah. or, or, or attention yeah. and so part of it is trying to make sure you can dig through the interview, that's why I always find the interviews to be like a terabyte of data because it's yeah. those questions you'd ask. Like, well, if I can't see it in any of these. Yeah, trans- no one's talking about it. really talking about it. Like, it's like, it's, it's like you can you can try to extrapolate that. Yeah. But I'm telling you, like, that's, if anything, it's going to scare them because they haven't thought about it. And yeah, if they yeah. think it can do it, they're probably so naive, it's not going to work. Yeah, yeah. And so to me, it's really about what people can actually talk about and articulate yeah. or just over the edge of what they can articulate and they yeah. have no language for. Yeah. But yeah. the notion that I'm going to I'm gonna hire Intercom and get my promotion is kind of like, okay, we can wish all that stuff, but yeah. that's just yeah. crap. Yeah. I should point Intercom will get people promoted. It's the results that Intercom gets you yeah, yeah. that will get you promoted, uh, but you have to be yeah. focused on those. Uh, and for sure, like if, you know, the way, the way I think about this, putting on my former marketing cap is like, should we try to rank in Google for how to get promoted? And the answer is no, because I think that, like, it would be a, a, a weird... A, I just don't yeah. think people are searching for that. And and, and if they oh, are searching for that... Yeah, intercom's not the logical the, conclusion. That's right. right. They, they, yeah. they can't yeah. see it. And so yeah. so I, I've gotten some questions of, like, hey, intercom is now focused more on messaging and some mm-hmm. other things. And they mm-hmm. said, well, have they strayed away from the jobs? And mm-hmm. so, first of all, I'd love to hear your answer to that. Yeah. And 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 I'll, I'll tell you my answer to that. Yeah. So, so like, I think... Absolutely not. Like so, the background for our listeners here, I feel like I need to explain is that uh, is uh, so Intercom started in two thousand and eleven, yeah. and we started off as a single product. And all we wanted to do really at the start was make it. Um, well, our mission was to make internet business personal. But what we specifically like were building was like a way to make it really easy for people who run internet businesses to talk to their customers yep. and vice versa. Yep. And obviously, the product was popular. And you know, fast forward maybe a couple of years, and what we had was this monolithic intercom, this single piece of software that could do a lot of things. And I first contacted Bob about a professional engagement with the question, this is weird to do a soliloquy in the middle of a podcast, but I like it. Uh, so I first, I, I first we contacted... We can cut it if we need yeah. to. No, no, okay. no. I, I think let, let's go. I, I know the engineer. We got yeah, to yeah. cover it. That's cool. So I first contacted Bob in like 2013. I think that was around... Yeah, that's right, yeah. And, uh, and actually, weirdly, the challenge that we had at the time was we did not know what to say on our marketing side. Because we didn't know how how best to articulate all of the weird ways intercom was being used. Yeah. So we we started an engagement. We spoke to like I guess dozens of customers. Yeah. And fifteen. Uh, fifteen. That's right. And uh, 
we came to the conclusion that intercom was being used in like at the time I think it was four different ways. It was yeah, like, we actually had five. We had five, and we cut one. Yeah, you because, cut one because yeah, yeah, like it was yeah. one job that was like no, 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 no. Yeah, like yeah, we, we don't yeah. we don't do it well. People are misusing yeah, yeah. it, and yeah, but there are four yeah. main jobs we can win at. So we had like the job of uh, and at the time we named them we named them observe, engage, respond, and support. I think yeah, or yeah, something yeah. along those lines. Uh, anyway, and uh, what what they were about was like help me see my users help me talk to my users help my t- users talk to me help me get people timely responses help me right. get people to do the right thing at the right time etc yep. yep and like so we produced these job boards we split the product up at least notionally like we sort of said hey here's our three different things we ran, we ran multiple marketing sites for each of the things we did uh, we priced the, each of the things differently and the whole project was a massive success so now to your question, which uh, so that's the yeah, context. So, so yeah. now, but so now you're actually yeah. not marketing the jobs necessarily as much. You're you're putting them as like use cases, and yeah. you're actually marketing more just product. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. well, <clears throat> so there's a few things. So the use case is still tied to the jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. I think you'll see that. Like we have a use case called support and retain, and we yeah, have one yeah. called capture and convert, and we have one called onboard and yeah. engage, and yep. all of that research still holds true, yeah. right? And I think. That's a very thorough validation because one of the core ideas about a job to be done is that it should be timeless. It, yep. should, it should like represent a persistent need, not something that's temporal. And I think that's certainly been true for us. As to how we package, basically, we still find ourselves in a situation where parts of our, where significant parts of our product are used for different purposes. Yes. So you could use an inbox as an example to yep. talk to sales customers, in which case all you care about is your Salesforce integration, fast replies, lead yep. qualification, all that sort of stuff. And we have that. We also, that same inbox is, you know, the whole right-hand panel of it will turn into a customer support column, which is like, here's Bob. He has seven projects open. He's, he, you know, he's struggling on project yep. number eight. He's yep. paying us 49 bucks a month. Yep. Uh, you know, and that's the same technology powers that, but it's right. used in a different way. So we, I would say, we market solutions, but we sell products. Yep. And so if you say you want capturing avert, we will sell you our messages product so you can start conversations with visitors and our inbox product so that you can actually reply to those conversations yep. and manage them at scale and sync with Salesforce and all sorts of stuff. So like, you can also buy our support and retain product, in which case we will sell you a knowledge base and yep. an inbox. Right. Same inbox. So that's the kind of the shift we've made, yep. moving from products to solutions. And, and to, I think you know, I, yeah. I think that's exactly... So to me, the thing is, is people buy products mm-hmm. in some cases. And so that when they look for a solution, mm-hmm. they don't know actually sometimes what they're doing, but they've yeah. actually already jumped to the, mm-hmm. I, need a, I need one inbox or I need a... I need mm-hmm. a uh, a messaging platform, yeah, and so yeah. all of a sudden it's like they're looking there. But the notion is, is, is to me, you have to actually have both because mm-hmm. at some point they might want to buy it, but now you're putting the context around it of the best way to use it. And so yeah. either way, it's about a dynamic situation of going from A to B, and yeah. and they might actually think I need this cup or or, yeah, or yeah. a post it, and yeah. so they're going to go buy it. But the reality is, is they still need to make progress, and yeah. so. Jobs are, to me, uh, use case sets. And so mm-hmm. there's like five or six use cases possibly under it. But the jobs, yeah. like you said, are universal. And so sometimes people can talk about the problem. Sometimes they actually walk in with a solution. Yes. But it's the wrong solution. Mm-hmm. And you can actually talk them or help yeah. them understand that they might need two things instead of one or yeah. or different sets. But the aspect is they have to be able to eventually get pulled into the job context so yeah. they can actually say, oh, yeah, that's me. Yeah, I want that outcome. Okay, this yeah. is what I need. It's really interesting. Like the, One of the big aha moments for me when I was uh, working with the marketing team in Intercom was um, we, we kind of realized, uh, I, mean, I wrote a piece about this called The Ways People Buy, that uh, there are like so many different ways uh, that somebody will come looking to us for, yeah. our, for what we would say is our capture and convert solution. Yep. Some people say that they're looking to increase website conversion. Yeah. And that's something that our product does. Some people will say that they need to replace their existing live chat tool. 
And what, yeah. so, so they're searching for yep, like exactly. for like a, an oligarch alternative. Yep. And we need to be able to put our hand up for that as well. Yep. Some people will say like, I want live chat. And yep. so like, it's, they haven't, they're not, you know, the first category might be like, I have a problem. Yep. Uh, so as in, I want to increase conversion. Yep. Another one is like, I have a broken competitor, or at least I'm not happy yep. with my current offering. Uh, the third one might be like, I know the type of solution I need and I'm now shopping. Right. Uh, and there are other like even more specific ways we see this. And we need to be able to like market our product into all right. of those things. That's right. Sometimes you have to teach the customer and draw draw a line for them between your product and their problem. Um, yes. Other times they're like, I know you guys do live chat. Where's the buy button? That's right. And you need to be able to like cater for all of these with right. one marketing site. But but the but the the underlying premise though is that the progress that all of them are trying to make is the same. Yeah. But the fact is is they might actually use different language. So this yeah. is where what I, what I would say is this is to me where personas come in, mm -hmm. is that I might have somebody really sophisticated who knows what they're doing, they have done it before, and it's yeah. and they know how to talk, I want to increase yeah. conversions. You might have somebody else who's like, I'm new to this whole thing, I just want live chat, I don't, yeah, I don't, yeah. even, I don't even think conversions. And totally, so to yeah. me, again, the job is kind of that foundational piece, and then it's like I put personas underneath it, I put, I'll put demographics underneath it, I'll do these different things, but it's, it's, it's the notion that these are the the pathways that mm -hmm. people are trying to go. And it's like, there are different ways in which I might have to capture them to be in that pathway, but the underlying causality is the same. Yes. In some cases, they don't have to know at all about the job. And yeah. in other cases, they might be really explicit and know about the job. So it do yeah. doesn't mean that you turn a job into the marketing side. Right, right. Right. You have to be able to actually uh, look through the job and look through the lens and look through different personas to see how yeah. do I actually market better. So to me, right. when you moved it, it's like, Look, people don't buy jobs; they buy products, and so if yeah, yeah. they literally know what they're buying, they're trying to buy, and they can't buy it, they don't want to go through all that mm -hmm. shit. Right. So I think yeah. So that 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 that's a key insight there, which is like understand your buyer personas, which might be like of different maturity or different experience yes. or different naivety, and then understand that your personas are one thing. You need to know who they are, who buys right. your product. Your job is a fixed thing, right? And then your marketing side is in effect a lens through which all personas should be able to see the solution That's you're right. offering, right? That's but they right. should see it maybe in their own language or, or with their own Or in experience. a range of yeah. languages, or you might yeah. actually have yeah. to have different landing pages for yeah. the personas. Yeah. But the fact is, again, that what they're trying to do is, I'm still trying to help me convert more people who land on my site. Yeah. Whether they want to say it that way or they want to say, I need a chat tool, yeah. they actually have the same kind of yeah. intents. Awesome, right. Very last question. Uh -oh. We'll keep this one quick. If you're out there, uh, you're a startup founder, you're yeah. a product, you're, after listening to this interview, yeah. you've read your book, you've read our book. Yeah. What's a single step I can take oh, with jobs? I love it. So my, my thing is the greatest single step you can make is to actually talk to somebody who recently purchased you yeah. and talk to somebody who recently quit you. Right. Or quit the competitor that you right. want, that, that you're going after. And so to me, by understanding these switching moments, um, they're like a thread and you pull them. Mm -hmm. And then once you see it, you can't unsee it. And you'll see it in over and over and over and over again. Yeah. So to me, it's it, the, the, the first step is always a set of interviews. Yeah. That so you're saying talk it. here. So you're not talking about email. You're not talking about no, surveys. No, no, I'm not talking about surveys. I'm literally like get them on the phone and say, again, yeah. the basic question is what caused you to say today's the day you're going to sign up for this product or today's the day I'm going to stop using, you know, Dropbox. Like mm -hmm. you've been using Dropbox for 20 years. Why did you stop yeah, today? Yeah, and it's yeah. like it's not random. Mm -hmm. The thing you have to realize is it's not random and you have to dig as hard yeah. as you can past the, I'll say, the bullshit stuff they'll tell yeah. you up front yeah. to the point of like, oh, I get the story now. Yeah, and yeah. it's like there's always something deeper and it's it's usually there's got to be some amount of energy because yeah. nobody wants to really switch. Habit is the strongest force of all and people will just keep doing what they're doing unless there's, 
either something in the way or they think yeah. there's something better and it's yeah. it's got to be enough energy for them to stop something to start something right so get it get just just like, go yeah. talk to your customers i mean that's that's yeah. that's the that's where this all began and it's like it's like detective work whenever yeah. i've seen you do it it's like it's like stop stop you know you're saying cool unbundle cool for me what yeah, does the word yeah. cool mean to you oh, oh yeah, it's well, useful that's different yeah, yeah. well what's yeah. useful mean i like yeah, i tell yeah. and then what you'll yeah. say is well tell me what's not useful and sometimes yeah, yeah. they can articulate better in the negative space than the yeah. positive space and so yeah. it's about playing with the words yeah. i always say the english language kind of sucks because yeah. it just it's we have too many words that say that the the same word means five things, or the or five different mm -hmm. words mean the same thing, yeah. and so part of this is again being dyslexic for me. It was like, all right, I have no idea which meaning you mean, so let's mm -hmm. let's just take it down a notch, and we keep taking yeah. it down to where it's like, all right, I clearly understand what yeah. happened and why you did this and what you were hoping for. Thank yeah. you. Hang up the phone, yeah, yeah. and and now I'm ready to go. Yeah. So but I can't it. design yeah. product without that first. Right, right. That makes total sense. So be like a detective and find some yeah. suspects. Yeah, Sherlock Holmes, baby. Perfect. Thank you very cool. much, Bob. Thanks. Great to have you. Thanks, Des. You've been listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more episodes, visit soundcloud.com slash intercom. If you'd like to subscribe, search for Inside Intercom in iTunes or Stitcher. And for even more great content, check out blog.intercom.com.